All right, ladies and gentlemen, you are locked on Falcons. I'm your host, Aaron Freeman. And today we are going to be talking about how we went through an entire summer without answering a lot of some of the major questions surrounding this Atlanta Falcons team and how that affects our perception of how good a 2021 season this team is capable of having. You are Locked On Falcons, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So, guys, you know me, I'm Aaron Freeman, been covering the Falcons for many years, formerly at Falcfans.com, RIP, still going strong on Twitter at Falcfans, and of course, the host of this preeminent Locked On Falcons podcast or daily Atlanta Falcons podcast right here in the Locked On Podcast Network. And today's episode is going to be an interesting one because, you know, this summer has been a unique one because I feel like a lot of the questions I had. Uh, about this team entering training camp have largely gone unanswered. And some of that is due to the team not playing the starters and and, and other factors. And we're going to get into some of those factors of why I sort of don't feel as informed about this Falcons team, despite the preseason being over and now looking forward to the regular season heading into this particular regular season as compared to previous regular seasons. We'll also talk a little bit about sort of how I feel about this team in terms of doing an exercise of trying to figure out whether this team is, you know, a also ran or a potential playoff team with an exercise I've done looking at the Falcons each summer for the last seven years and sort of where this 2021 team fits. And we'll just sort of use that as a jumping off point to really sort of discuss this team and sort of still some of those unanswered questions uh, heading into the season, despite the fact that, you know, training camp and the preseason are now over. Uh, Before we get into that, I do want to address that I am recording this Monday evening and some of the Falcons cuts have already started to trickle out players like Chris Rowland, Zach Dahl, Elianku and and Kobe Jones as of this moment have been announced by various sources, AJC, ESPN, NFL Network as being some of the Falcons cuts. And that's likely an indicator that those players have already been informed. At least the vast majority of the players uh, have already been informed that they have been cut as of Monday evening. Their agents are sort of leaking that information to those various, uh, you know, insiders and, and beat reporters as the quote unquote sources. Um, and while I could talk about those things, you know, I'm not expecting some major move for the Falcons to happen Monday evening. I could be wrong. And so through the power of editing, I might have to break in uh, very shortly uh, to address that after, you know, I'm done recording, but you know, I'm going to basically wait and, and really talk about all the roster moves that the Falcons wind up making on tomorrow's episode when those moves should at least be official, at least all the cuts and, and whether the Falcons, you know, make any trades or anything like that ahead of the Tuesday, 4 PM Eastern time, uh, final cut deadline. So we'll, we'll sort of punt that, uh, at at this point in time and and get into the topic of the day, talking about, you know, some of those unanswered questions And, and where this kind of begins is this exercise that I've done pretty consistently, uh, on an annual basis, beginning really in earnest, in the summer of 2014. And I always sort of asked myself going in to the season or going into training camp uh, in June, July, around that time, you know, and, and talking about the Falcons and thinking about the Falcons 
on these sort of super in-depth levels that you guys know I, I talk I talk and think about the team is I always ask myself the, the simple question of, you know, is this team more likely to finish six and 10 or are they more likely to finish 10 and six? And, you know, that started in 2014 because I remember that particular summer not being as high on the team as others were. I think a lot of people looked at that 2013 season as an aberration due to injuries, a, a sort of temporary hiccup, and the team would get right back on track uh, heading into 2014 to where they kind of left off in 2012 in that NFC championship game. And I remember going into that season and predicting the Falcons to finish like eight and eight um, that year. And that was to me being an optimistic viewpoint of that team. Cause I just didn't see really the talent to be, you know, that high level team in 2012. I think that 2012 team basically overachieved and a lot of the off season moves that the Falcons made mainly the Paul Soli and Tyson Jackson free agent signings, along with some of the questionable draft picks that they had that off season made me very skeptical over whether that team had really made the strides uh, to really improve their roster from the 2013 season. And obviously that 2014 team wound up finishing six and 10. So that sort of exercise proved to be somewhat accurate. Uh, And then the following year in 2015, when Dan Quinn and his coaching staff were hired, feeling a lot more optimistic about that team in terms of Dan Quinn being able to deliver on some of those higher expectations uh, than the previous regime and Mike Smith were able to do and sort of asking that same six and 10 versus 10 and six question, feeling more on the 10 and six side. And of course they sort of split the difference with that eight and eight finish, but it did certainly seem like, you know, going through that five and zero start to that 2015 season uh, before ultimately faltering to that eight and eight record, it did feel like at least initially in that season, they were on pace to be that uh, 10 and six, 10 and six team. But, you know, that sort of disappointment after that sort of, early, you know, fast start for the Falcons led to me being sort of the pendulum swinging back to me going into the 2016 season and sort of feeling like that was going to be a six and 10 team because some of the off season moves that they made, like the signings of, of Sanu and, and not being a big fan of some of their draft picks led sort of gave me the similar vibe that I had going into that 2014 uh, season off of that off season. And sort of one of the things that I promised myself after that 2014 year and sort of the disappointment was I was not going to necessarily bite my tongue if I felt like, you know, things were not going in the Falcons favor. And obviously that wound up being very wrong uh, in that 2016 season as things played out. And I think a lot of that was due to some of my expectations for what would happen in 2015 in particular with Kyle Shanahan ultimately got delayed and happened in 2016 rather than the year I thought. And sort of, you know, part of it was, expecting in 20 going into 2015 that, you know, Kyle Shanahan would be able to elevate this offense from basically being the Julio Jones show and not really being able to do that. And then sort of because he didn't deliver on that in 2015, I was like, well, you know, Sanu and, and, and those guys aren't going to necessarily take pressure off of Julio Jones and it's still going to be the Julio Jones show. And that wound up not being true because of, you know, the improvements by Coleman and, and Sanu and Aldrick Robinson and Taylor Gabriel, et cetera. So, um, then obviously having the same conversation ahead of 2017 
obviously veering towards that 10 and six side coming off of this, the 2016 Super Bowl year, even though knowing, you know, or, or believing that there would be some offensive regression, still believing that that 2017 team was one of the more talented teams we've seen in Falcons uh, history, at least in my memory uh, as a team and feeling confident that that team would finish. Well, of course they finished 11 and five that year, or I'm sorry, 10, they actually finished 10 and six that year. Uh, they finished 11 and five in, in 2016. And then the following two seasons in 2018 and 2019 still feeling like that those teams were geared towards being more of a 10 and 16 uh, and obviously being wrong in those instances with the seven and nine finishes. And then sort of 2020, the, the pendulum finally swinging, swinging back in the other direction, feeling like that team was closer to a six and 10 finish than a 10 and six one uh, just largely due to the fact that I felt like that 2020 team was likely a, a seven and nine type of, of team really at, not necessarily at best, but like in, in more than likelihood that that's probably where they would wind up finishing. And so looking back at the seven years of sort of conducting this exercise, you know, there were three years where my intuition seemed accurate in 2014, 2017, and 2020. And then there's three years where it wasn't so accurate in 2016, 2018, and 2019. And then one year where they kind of split the difference with that eight and eight record in 2015. And so I guess you could say that's, you know, I got that half right. So three and a half out of seven years, I got it right. Basically means I got it right 50% of the time. And so the, the lesson really wasn't that, oh, this exercise is particularly informative or accurate way of looking at a team, uh, you know, cause I might as well just flip a coin in order to determine if it winds up that gut feeling that I have winds up being true in the end, but I still find it valuable if for no other reason, there's just sort of my own internal compass and calibration system moving forward. And obviously moving forward with a 17 game schedule, I probably have to modify it somewhat um, to a six and 11 versus an 11 and six. Cause seven and 10 versus 10 and seven feels too close uh, and not wide enough uh, points uh, on that sort of spectrum and scale. And sort of, you know, one of the things I want to talk about on today's episode is sort of where I fall on that scale, six and 11 versus 11 and six with this year's team. And what's been the main issue is I've had a lot more difficulty and had a lot more sort of waffling back and forth this summer than I have recalled in previous summers. And again, it was never in past years like this sort of definitive, like I strongly feel this way, but just more of a general sort of like I'm leaning in this direction about this team. And this offseason in particular, I started out more in that sort of 11 and 6 uh, direction, leaning in that direction. But over the past month, I've so slowly started to drift over to 6 and 11 and felt like I've crossed that threshold in particular over the last couple of weeks. Um, and what's been interesting is now two weeks before the season, I'm still not quite a hundred percent sure where I fall on that spectrum. And I want to talk about some of the reasons why I've had so much difficulty trying to figure out, uh, where I sort of lie on that spectrum. And I think in large part, it's thanks to some of the questions I've had entering the summer, not necessarily being answered coming out of the summer. And we'll get into that, uh, coming up on today's lockdown Falcons, looking at some of those unanswered questions, uh, still lingering for this Falcon team. And before we get there, guys, you know, I want to let you guys know that, Currently ongoing is the Locked On Podcast Network's Ultimate Season Preview 2021, which you can find on its own feed on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. If you subscribe to the NBA or NFL Mock Draft, it's on the same feed. If you didn't subscribe to that, uh, you can just search for the Ultimate Season Preview feed on your favorite podcast platform, and those previews 
previewing every team, every division uh, this week, as well as next week has already begun beginning on Monday. And of course you can check it out by subscribing to that ultimate season preview on your favorite podcast app. So it's that time of year again, and all eyes are now turning to football as teams are back on the gridiron to start the season. And as always, bet online is your number one spot for all the pro and college football action this year. Get all the updated odds, props and contests, including online's biggest half million dollar NFL mega contest in the world's largest $200,000 NFL survivor contest open now only at bet online head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today at betonline.ag and you will receive a 100% welcome bonus. Be sure to take advantage of their opening day super promo, which means if you make a bet on Thursday, September 9th for the season opener between the Bucks and Cowboys, even if you lose, your wager will be refunded up to $25 for new customers only when signing up using that promo code NFL100. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports from football, basketball, boxing, all the way to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait and take advantage of all the great offers available for the 2021 season. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. So if you ask me at any point during the two months leading up to that Julio Jones trade at the beginning of July, you know, where I was leaning on the six and 11 versus 11 and six question, I would have probably definitely said, yeah, 11 and six. But once that trade went down in early June, you know, regular listeners of this podcast are probably aware of this, but I, it's been a lot harder for me to garner, you know, the same level of optimism since then. And I think over the last two weeks, if you had asked me this same six and 11 versus 11 and six question, I probably would have said six and 11. And part of me has been wondering over the last week or so, why has there been such a significant shift? And it's not a shift that occurred overnight, but slowly really over the last 12 weeks. And I know again, part of that is due to the loss of Julio Jones, who's been a mainstay in Atlanta for so long that it's difficult to fully process what life after Julio Jones will actually be like when, you know, most of this offseason, I was under the assumption that I would basically still have the rest of 2021 uh, this calendar year to process that because I thought this season would be his final in Atlanta and we would have to deal with the consequences of losing him next year. But I felt like, you know, the team was set up to be able to, you know, navigate those issues with Kyle Pitts entering year two with, you know, potentially more spending room and being able to have the, the, the cap space and the wiggle room in the draft to be able to, to find, you know, a replacement for him. But the realization for me is that the bigger issue might be that there are unanswered questions that have not really been answered this summer by this Falcons team. And, you know, normally under normal circumstances, we would have at least an inkling to some of these answers. Um, And some of my biggest questions about this team, you know, six weeks ago when camp began, you know, I don't feel as really any shape or form more informed about, today as I was back then. And some of those questions are, you know, how good is the Falcons running game? How good would their offensive line be this year? How good are the team's playmakers at this offensive skill positions, not named Kyle Calvin Ridley and Kyle Pitts going to be this year? How comfortable is Matt Ryan going to be in this offense from the jump? You know, is he going to suffer that sort of year one brand new offensive coordinator growing pains that we've seen him 
struggle through the last three coordinator changes, or is that a thing of the past? You know, looking at the defense, how good is this pass rush going to be? You know, how good is this secondary going to be? And so these are some of the questions I have. And while I don't necessarily expect to, to have all of these questions fully answered by summer's end, I felt like you could at least have an inkling to sort of lean in a direction on at least some of these questions uh, by summer's end. And I think that is, you know, part of my struggle and criticism of the team's refusal to play their starters has been related to this issue because, you know, I would use their performance in some of these preseason games as a way of sort of gleaning some of this information. You know, I, I tend to pride myself on not necessarily always just automatically buying whatever the team is selling because I'm a natural skeptic and because I'm a big believer that my own eye is the best judge of not only the team, but an individual player rather than someone else telling me what I should think or feel about a team and or player. Um, And it's always sort of been a touchstone of mine, you know, for everybody else when it comes to January and February, when the off season kicks off, you know, for lack of better term, buying whatever BS the team is putting out there, their marketing department is putting out there that, you know, this year is going to be better. Or next year is going to be better. And we've, we've added these pieces and it's going to mean X and we've added these pieces and it's going to mean Y or whatever the case may be. And I'm always like, you know, sure you can talk the talk, but time will tell if you can actually walk the walk. And I think, again, that's a big reason why I think the limited action that we've seen from the, the starters playing this summer bothered me so much because that's usually the time where I would have the opportunity to judge, you know, how much walk can they walk, you know? And it's not to sit here and say that the preseason performances are the end all be all in that regard, but it's one of those things that, you know, I have decades of memories of, of players that were hyped in OTAs that were hyped in, in camp practices. And that when it, whether it was the preseason games or the regular season games, you know, when it came time to deliver with the lights on, they were not able to do so and vice versa, where there were players that were not getting, you know, any type of hype, but, proved to be gamers when, when those lights came on. And it's not to sit here and say that if they had played their starters, all the aforementioned questions would be answered. But for me, when I look ahead 10 days to that crossover that I'm going to do with the locked on Eagles host, uh, Gino and Lou, you know, there's probably not going to be as many answers to some of their questions that I would normally have. I'm not, you know, I'm going to be on that podcast potentially saying like, Hey, Gino, Lou, your guesses are as good as mine about what this Falcon team is going to be. And I'm just as curious as you are to find out how some of these matchups are going to go, because I don't feel particularly informed about them that, you know, for instance, you know, how the interior of the Falcons all, offensive line, which was a a major question mark heading into the summer, how are they going to handle those Eagles defensive tackles? Now, again, them playing in the preseason maybe would not have given us the exact answer we were looking for uh, in that. But had we seen, you know, a player like Matt Hennessy get tested against some of those, you know, D tackles in the Miami game, the John Jenkins is the Raekwon Davis is the Christian Wilkins, you know, that would at least give us an inkling on maybe against, you know, if he had been able to handle those D tackles well, um, you know, that would have given us a little bit more confidence that he could handle whatever the Eagles are going to throw at him uh, better than maybe we would anticipate. But as of now, we don't really know the answer. You know, how is the switching of Foye Olakun and Deion Jones at the mic and Will linebacker going to work out? How is that going to pay off? And, you know, maybe we would have had a better inkling on, on whether that would pay off in a positive way for the Falcons, as I hope and believe it, it should or could 
if we had seen those guys get extended work against the Browns offensive line in that Browns running game on Sunday night for at least a couple of series that we could feel like, oh yeah, this is trending in the right direction. And so, you know, we talk about these unanswered questions. Who's the Falcons starting left guard? Who's going to be the week one starting left guard? And, you know, have we ever had a time at the end of preseason where we didn't know where, who one of the starters was? I like, I think the answer to that question is Josh Andrews, but I don't really know that. And if I polled a hundred of you guys, you know, how many of you would say Josh Andrews? How many of you say with Jalen Mayfield? And how many of you would sit here and say, maybe it's not a player currently on the roster, um, which, you know, was a conversation that we were having, you know, um, six weeks ago about that possibility. But do we feel any more informed that the Falcons could or should not make a trade for a starting left guard uh, today than we did six weeks ago? I, you know, I don't know the answer to that. Do we feel any more confident that the Falcons answer at left guard is an in-house option for him? Again, don't know the answer for that. And it's just kind of a weird place to be in where, you know, I'm basically like the rest of you peasants, not, you know, and I basically have to either decide to fully buy in to the Falcons, you know, essentially sight unseen at this point in time and, and trying to grapple with this in particular, you know, trying to figure out how much faith we can put in this new coaching staff to address some of these problems and some of these issues over the course of this upcoming season is what I want to talk about as we continue today's Locked on Falcons podcast. But before we get there, guys, I want to let you know that today's episode is brought to you by Rock Auto. With ever-increasing numbers of makes and models, it's now impossible for your local chain auto parts store to stock all the parts you need. Why wait while the person behind the counter orders the parts on their computer when you already have a computer with access to rockauto.com at home or in your pocket? Save time and money when using Rock Auto. You'll spend up to twice as much for the same parts when you order from a chain store or car dealership. Meanwhile, Rock Auto's prices are always reliably low for the every customer. Rock Auto is a family business serving do-it-yourselfers for over 20 years. They have everything you need from brake parts, tail lamps, motor oil, even new carpet. Go explore their easy-to-use website yourself today and find a solution to your auto parts needs. Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Right, locked on any how-did-you-hear-about-us box so that they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. So does this sound familiar? You've only got one device that lets you catch the game live and another that lets you stream your favorite shows and you're watching sports highlights on your phone. You've got your neighbor's best friends login for the good stuff. Well, I want to tell you about a simple way to get all that entertainment you love without any of the hassle and a great way to finally get your TV together. It's called direct TV stream and it brings your live TV and on-demand favorites together like never before. So you can watch your favorite sports movies and shows all all in one place. That means no more juggling remotes, no need to buy another device ever again. And the best part, there's no annual contract. So get rid of the clutter and the confusion and get your TV together with direct TV stream. You can learn more at directtv.com. That's directtv.com. Compatible device required content varies by package. So, you know, obviously I was joking when I referred to the rest of you guys as peasants or was I, um, but you know, I, I feel like part of the fan experience is sort of this sort of automatic and immediate buy-in regardless of what is essentially being quote unquote sold to you. And I think for many of you, if not the vast majority of you, you sort of bought into whoever the Falcons new coach was the minute they fired Dan Quinn back in October, which was months before they even hired Arthur Smith. And then the actual hiring of Arthur Smith, as well as Terry Fontenot as a general manager, was essentially just kind of crossing the T's and dotting the I's for many people. And that's never really been me. 
And again, I, I don't say those things to sort of be like, I'm better than anybody else. I'm just illustrating to me sort of the differences. And you sort of, you've heard me on the pod quite a bit over these last couple of weeks, kind of poke holes and, 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 and try to have questions about various quote unquote narratives surrounding this coaching staff in terms of what Arthur Smith and Dean Pease can realistically fix as opposed to sort of, as I've often sort of dismissively termed it magically fixing some of these issues. And to me, it's, it's kind of a twofold thing. The first it's like if you were to plot the Falcons issues on like a 10 point scale with 10 equaling the team being great at the thing and obviously being a non-issue and one being the team being terrible at that thing and obviously being a major issue and five being average at that thing, you know, and again, this is for illustrative purposes, not necessarily specifically referring to anything, but I think, you know, for a lot of people, the perception is that if the Falcons were a three at something. The way that people talk about this new coaching staff's ability to address or solve that problem, they make it seem like they're going to go from a three to an eight simply by Arthur Smith and Dean P- and or Dean Pease, you know, walking in that door. Right. And my perception is like instead, you're probably if they were at a three, the coaching improvement takes it to a five. And for me, one of the more compelling questions I have is, okay, okay, the coaching hire improves it to from a three to a five, but how do you get from that five to the eight now? And that to me is where you heard me talk, particularly over the last couple of months about sort of the need to upgrade the talent and some of the big moves and major moves that they'll make next off season as part of that sort of conversation of, okay, you know, the coaches can get them over this small hump, but sort of who can get them over the big hunt to where this is no longer a weakness, but this is actually something that they're really good at. You know, that's a strength as opposed um, to, to that. And so the second element of this, I think is oftentimes the perception by a lot of folks is that, you know, the actual number of problems or issues that the team needs to wind up addressing the perception of that is that that number is smaller than what it actually is. For example, let's say the Falcons have 10 issues that they need to address. And, you know, for a lot of people, when they look at, you know, four of them, they say, okay, the coaching can solve four of these issues. And generally, like I would say, yes, I think the coaching, I would agree with you that the coaching can solve these four issues, but what about the other six problems? And I think for a lot of fans, they tend to do one of two things when asked that question is either to basically present, pretend that the other six problems can also be resolved with improved coaching thanks to sort of a semi trickle down effect or or whatever the case may be, or they just kind of hand wave away those other six problems to basically be either largely non-existent or mostly inconsequential and say, ah, those aren't really six issues, whatever. Let's just talk about these other four or whatever the case may be. And I think that leads to situations like referring back to past years where you know, I wasn't necessarily as high on the team going into certain seasons is that some of these issues wind up bubbling up to the surface over the course of the regular season that were largely overlooked during the off season in part due to them not necessarily fitting the narrative. And so for me, when I look at this upcoming 2021 season for the Falcons, a lot of it kind of reminds me of that 2015 season where I had these expectations that Kyle Shanahan, you know, who wasn't really working with a lot of talent on the Falcons offense that year, you know, but I figured all those complimentary pieces that the Falcons had around players or a player like Julio Jones, like Devontae Freeman and Tevin Coleman, uh, along with Leonard Hankerson and, and Roddy White and Jacob Tammy, that I felt like Kyle Shanahan would be able to elevate those guys enough that 
it would all sort of click together. And I think during that five and zero start, when the Falcons offense got off to that relatively fast start that season, and we saw, you know, glimpses of this team being able to score in bunches, you saw that, you know, over the course of that five game stretch, but that was something that they couldn't necessarily sustain over the entirety of the season. They eventually ran out of steam and then there wasn't a whole lot left for them to sort of hang their hat on. And when we're talking about the things that coaching and skiing can fix, you know, let's use an example of looking at a player like Russell Gage. One of those unanswered questions about the, you know, the Falcons playmakers that aren't Calvin Ridley and Russell and, and Kyle Pitts and sort of how good they can be. And long time listeners of the podcast know I, I put a lot of emphasis on explosive plays. And so one of the questions I have going into the summer, and again, not to suggest that we were going to get a definitive answer this summer, but you would hope to get a glimpse of this um, or at least, you know, going into the season, you would want to have at least some better idea of this than we had. But you look at Russell Gage's explosiveness last year, where he had six 20 plus yard plays last year. But when you look around the league and you look at actual high level number two wide receivers, they're often generating, you know, 10, 12, 15 or more such big explosive plays. And the question is going to be, can Arthur Smith, from a scheme standpoint alone, make Russell Gage two and even three times more explosive of a playmaker than what he has really shown to date? And I think in theory it could, but it's one of those things where you go back to that 2015 season and you're like, in theory, a lot of things that we thought Kyle Shanahan would be able to do you know, didn't necessarily deliver over the course of an entire season. There were stretches of games. You know, you go to that Houston game at the beginning of the season where Leonard Hankerson made a bunch of big plays. But outside of that game, you didn't really see that consistently the rest of the season. And some of that's owed to injuries and, and whatnot. But, you know, it's not to sit here and say this this question about Russell Gage and his explosiveness is going to be the thing that makes or breaks this season. But it's like kind of how much confidence you have in the answer to that specific question kind of is indicative of how much confidence you should have in, you know, the entire offense this upcoming season. Because, you know, that's not the sort of one question you have for this offense, but it's one of five. And it's one of those things going back to what we talked about, that if Arthur Smith can solve that problem, then some of the other issues that you're worried about offensively, you feel a lot more confident through that trickle down effect I referred to that those issues can be better addressed or better resolved. Right. So it's one of those things where it's like your confidence in answering that question about, you know, can Arthur Smith scheme, you know, make Russell Gage into an explosive high quality number two, your confidence in that should also sort of correlate with your confidence in how good a season the Falcons are going to have. Right. It's again, it's not a direct sort of thing, but they kind of correlate. And, you know, it's kind of similar to a feeling I had going back to past years going into that 2016 season where I felt like a lot of people's confidence in that year's team is, was directly linked to their confidence in Kyle Shanahan's ability to grow and improve as a play caller. And while I was never a super harsh critic of Shanahan, I was never one of those hashtag fire Shanahan type of people at that time or really ever, but I was also like not willing to die on the hill that Kyle Shanahan was this sort of misunderstood boy genius, right? That, like if you were on that camp of like, oh yeah, Kyle Shanahan's going to be fine. That's sort of where you were at at that point in time. And I think, you know, part of my skepticism and sort of my declining optimism is going back to that, you know, six and 11 versus 11 and six question in, in the example, using this example of Gage's explosiveness, like if his explosiveness is gauged, you know, no pun intended to be a three in this situation, right? Arthur Smith's scheme, I think can get that three to a five, but 
if we're going to get to an eight and really be cooking, you know, you're going to need to add more explosive weapons in the off season, like similar to what the Falcons did in 2016, when they went out and got players like Alchick Robinson and Taylor Gabriel to replace guys like Roddy white and Leonard Hankerson um, from that 2015 to 2016 season, in addition to Muhammad Sanu, but we know Sanu wasn't really contributing as a explosive guy. He was contributing as a chain mover. And so when you get back to the original question, it's, it's kind of hard for me to side on one side of the fence when it comes to that six and 11 versus 11, six conversation. So I, I kind of feel like it may wind up being similar to that 2015 year where they kind of split the difference, but now with a 17 game schedule, instead of going eight and eight, it's kind of like, okay, they'll go eight, eight and one or, or, or whatever the case may be. So, you know, I feel like there's so much more about this conversation that we can have. We can talk about, you know, talking about Arthur Smith's decision to not play the starters, which, you know, one of the big questions we had about this team going into the summer was whether or not the depth was going to be good enough for this team. And and part of the reason why playing the backups uh, extensively was to try to get those guys ready. But I think it's fair to question over whether that's really going to pay off for the team in 2021, but rather, you know, the development that those guys got this summer is more inclined to pay off for this team in 2022 and 2023. And so that's a a fair question, but obviously we're not going to talk about that on today's episode. Um, But I am curious to wrap up things on today's episode, sort of where you guys come down on this question about six and 11 versus 11, six. If you could go back retroactively and ask a similar question about previous Falcon teams, where did you fall in that spectrum? And does sort of where you felt where you fell on that spectrum and how the results occurred. Does that make you feel better about your gut feeling about this year's team or make make you feel worse about your gut feeling about this team? You know, similar to me, are you sort of 50, 50 or did your gut sort of go 80, 20 or whatever the case may be past based off a of past experience and sort of what are some of the bigger questions that many of you guys had, you know, entering this summer before camp and were some of those questions answered about this team over the past, you know, four to six weeks. And so I'm just here to get your feedback on that. And of course you can provide your feedback to me via Twitter at lockdown Falcons via Facebook at lockdown Falcons, or you can send an email to lockdown Falcons at mail.com. And, and again, guys, we'll be back tomorrow to talk more about these Falcons cuts now that they will be official uh, for tomorrow's episode and any sort of mo- roster moves that the Falcons may make in addition to those cuts. But before we exit today's episode, I do want to once again, plug the ultimate season preview, which is ongoing right now on the ultimate season preview feed on the Odyssey app, you know, Locked On Podcast Network is previewing every team, every division with the help of Odyssey experts like Ross Tucker and Jason Lockham for you can follow the ultimate season preview 2021 feed on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. And that has already begun Monday, August 30th and is running through September 8th. So guys, I appreciate it until then.